For three and a half years, not a single drop of rain had fallen on the land. There had been no morning dew, no evening dew, not a drop of refreshment for the parched ground. And parched and cracked the ground was. There was no grass, therefore, to feed the livestock. The animals had nothing to eat. There was a fearful drought. There was a famine that gripped the nation. And of course, as we study the Bible, we are able to ascertain that this was all the result of divine judgment. If you go back in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy, to the chapter 11, and to the verse 17, you'll find that the Lord had given a warning to his people about such circumstances. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 17. Let's read verse 16 as well. Take heed to yourselves, that your heart be not deceived, and ye turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. That's exactly what had happened in Samaria. That's exactly what had happened in Israel. Under the wicked Jezebel, whose wimp of a husband Ahab had allowed such a thing to develop, Baal worship filled the land. And so we read on. And then the Lord's wrath be kindled against you. And he shut up the heaven that there be no rain, and that the land yield not her fruit, unless ye perish quickly from off the good land which the Lord giveth you. Notice that. The threatening is that the Lord's wrath would be upon them, that he would shut up the heaven that there would be no rain and the land would yield no fruit. Just turn your eyes over to 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. And it says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. This was in fulfillment of God's threatening in Deuteronomy chapter 11. It was the result of divine judgment. The nation had turned from God and gone into deep apostasy, even into the apostasy of Baal worship. Altars to that false god, actually a series of false deities, because Balaam was a a many-faceted religion. It was actually a system of polytheism. But altars of Baal were erected and the worship of Jehovah was forsaken, so much so that the altar of the Lord was broken down. It lay in ruins. And so there was this consequence that God withheld the rain from the land. Nothing can live very long without moisture. Without rain, we know this in this part of the world, when it stops raining for a while, there's all sorts of warnings about not lighting fires, and then there may even be some measures taken to conserve water. Because reservoirs are beginning to dry up, and the supplies are not there. And so action has to be taken. There are consequences when there's no rain. 
Such was the case here in Israel. But the land at that time was privileged, despite its apostasy, to have in its midst a fiery prophet and a great reformer by the name of Elijah. And Elijah, by God's grace, was enabled to overthrow the idolatry on Mount Carmel. We see the story in 1 Kings chapter 18. And he was enabled to set up once again the altar of God in the land. But then he did something. And this is what I want to hone in on this morning in this message. He interceded for the land before God and sought for the blessing of God to be poured out. Interestingly, the epistle of James references the ministry of Elijah. Of course, because of the Greek language, his name is translated as Elias, but it's the same person. It's Elijah. And you read in the book of James, in the chapter 5, and the verse number 17, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, he was just an ordinary man. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. So there he is at the beginning telling Ahab, it's not going to rain these years, but according to my word. Elijah had been praying prior to that. You only know that by what is written in James chapter 5. You wouldn't have known that by reading the account in 1 Kings 17. Because he just appears on the scene and announces that there will be no rain and no dew. But prior to that, he had been praying. I want you to think about that. He had been praying already that such would happen. So he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Hence the drought. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. And that is the record that's given toward the end of 1 Kings chapter 18. He's praying the second time, this time, for the reversal of his original prayer. Lord, I want you to stop the rain in judgment. Now, Lord, that you've been vindicated at the altar. You've sent the fire. The people's hearts have been turned back to the Lord. Lord, I want you now to answer prayer in sending the rain. And so we read, ere long, the heavens were black with clouds. And copious showers fell upon the thirsty land. A deluge of physical blessing. There's a spiritual parallel in all of this. In our own land, I guess you could refer to the whole Western world, but we're living here in the United States. You can think about this country. I don't think there's any doubt that we have been reaping the harvest of apostasy here. Reaping a harvest of sinfulness. Reaping the harvest of idolatry in worship. Turning away from the true biblical religion to false idols and even paganism and secularism. There is a spiritual drought in this land today. There's a famine, not of bread or of water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. There are people who contact me and other preachers on a very regular basis complaining That in the area of the country in which they live, there is no faithful church for them to attend. 
such as they would like to attend. This is the harvest of departure from God. Spiritual drought. So what do we need? We need what God gave physically as well as spiritually to Israel. Refreshing showers of blessing to fall upon us in a great spiritual awakening. We need revival. We've been emphasizing this over the last number of weeks. Yes, there's false revivals. Yes, there are spurious revivals. There are things that claim to be revival that are no such thing. But there is such a thing as revival. And we need it. And as we have been noting in several verses in this series, in Scripture, revival is likened to showers of rain. Just want to mention two verses in particular that illustrate this in Psalm 72 and verse number 6. The Word of God says this. Psalm 72 and verse 6. Speaking about the Lord, He shall come down like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. That's revival. That's what happens when revival comes. It is the Lord coming down, just like the rain comes down from heaven, just like the showers water the earth. And again, you go to the book of Isaiah, to chapter 35, and there we read in that passage, Isaiah 35, and verses 6 and 7, Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness, that's the most unexpected place, isn't it? In the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert, and the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Great Growth, greenery, refreshment, all as a result of the showers of the waters that have come. Oh, for the floods on a thirsty land. Oh, for a mighty revival. We often sing those words that the Lord would send us revival. Lord, send us revival. Let it begin now in me, gladly dethroning each rival, yield I my heart unto thee. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 18, especially toward the close of that chapter, there are a number of truths that will illustrate for us what revival is. I want us to think about that this morning. We want again to consider the subject of revival, remembering as I've emphasized over and over again, that strictly speaking, revival is for believers, while regeneration is for unbelievers. You can't revive that which is dead. That which is dead needs to be resurrected. But that which is comatose, that which is in a state where it's not dead, but it's barely alive, That's where revival comes in. And this is what is needed in the church. That there might be a fresh quickening. A quickening of the smoldering embers by His almighty breath. 
And that, of course, will be accompanied, if it's true, with regeneration for sinners, a great awakening. So let's think about the following things. What is revival? First of all, revival is the result of a patient waiting upon God. Revival is the result of a patient waiting upon God. Now we've been illustrating from church history, even from biblical history, how much of a role prayer plays when revival comes. Ahead of revival, during revival, after revival, prayer is always prominent. Now you might say, well, what has that got to do with this passage? Well, think about this. 1 Kings 18 tells us in verse 42 that Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Now what was he doing? Uh, Well, he wasn't doing a yoga exercise, that much I can tell you. He wasn't in gym class. He was praying. How do you know? Because of the scripture that I read a few minutes ago in James chapter 5. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave forth rain. This is what he's doing on Mount Carmel. He's up at the top of the mountain. He's lying there on the ground, and he has his face between his knees. And his servant is with him. And he says to that servant, verse 43, Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing And he said, go again, seven times. That servant must have been tired of that. He leaves and he goes, he looks out to the sea, comes back, there's nothing. Goes out, looks to the sea, comes back, there's nothing. He does it seven times. But look at the verse 44. And it came to pass at the seventh time. That he said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that Elijah was persistent and that he persevered in prayer. He didn't quit after one or two times, such as we often do, but he continued to pray. He continued to seek the face of the Lord and he was not deterred by the lack of movement. He was not deterred by the lack of results. He was not deterred by the apparent silence of heaven toward his praying. Because he knew, as James later said, when he was commenting on it, that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah knew that. And folks, it's a fact of history that God always sends revival in association with prayer. Now, let me hasten to say, it doesn't have to be many people praying. I've already referenced in this series of messages the 59 revival in Ulster. It began with a small prayer meeting in a schoolhouse where there were two or three people. Jeremiah Manili was one and a couple of others. The 1857 Fulton Street revival in New York prior to that, started with one businessman who was later joined by another person and for quite a long time there were just two or three people in that prayer meeting. God sends revival not 
to widespread praying necessarily. But nonetheless, there are those who pray. There are those who seek the face of the Lord, albeit they might be in small numbers. But that should encourage us. You know, if we're waiting for a time when the prayer meetings are bigger than the regular Sunday services, we're going to wait for a long time. God doesn't have to wait for that. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, Jesus said. Now the psalmist David believed in praying for revival. We have noted this verse over and over again, Psalm 85 verse 6. Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? The prophet Habakkuk, we have referenced him. He knew that he needed to pray for revival. That's why it says in that third chapter of his book, a prayer of Habakkuk upon Shigianoth. That is a musical term. It is a prayer set to music, which is why it says at the end, to the chief singer on my stringed instruments. But what is the prayer? O Lord, Habakkuk 3 verse 2, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known in wrath, remember mercy. Notice the timing there. In the midst of the years. A lot of time has elapsed without revival coming. And yet he's still praying for it. And my friends, we also need to pray that God will move in our nation and that he will move mightily. And we must keep on praying for that. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, Paul told the Colossians. Pray without ceasing, Paul told the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. How often are we reminded of the need to continue in prayer? There's the parable of the lady, the widow, who came to the unjust judge and asking for things. And it was because of her importunity that she received. The same is true of the parable of the friend who goes to his friend at midnight and he asks him for the loaves, Luke chapter 11. And Jesus says that his friend doesn't rise out of bed and give him what he needs just because he's his friend, but because of the man on the outside's importunity that he keeps on. He's not taking no for an answer. And this is Elijah. He stayed on his knees until the promise was fulfilled. And he prayed earnestly. And he prayed again. You could say he prayed again and again and again and again. Till the seventh time. Do you not feel sometimes, I know I do, like Elijah's servant. You're praying about something. You've been continually looking for it. But always finding this situation. There is nothing. That's exactly what the servant said to Elijah. If you look at it again in 1 Kings 18 and verse 43. He went up and looked and said, there is nothing, nothing, a big zero with the ring rubbed out. Nothing. Is that how you feel sometimes when you pray? I'm not getting an answer from the Lord. And certainly it's very easy to lose the vision for revival 
when there appears to be nothing happening in answer to prayer, we can come to the point where we just say, ah, well, the Lord's not going to answer prayer. It's not God's will to send revival. Let's just be done with it. That would be wrong. That would be entirely wrong. We must persevere before God until the answer comes. Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, for it is time to seek the Lord till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Hosea 10 verse 12. Think about that. Till He come and rain righteousness upon you. Keep on. In a more general sense, we think about prayers that we offer for people that we know that are lost. And we want, like anything, to see them saved. It's our heart's desire that when we go to heaven that they be there with us. We don't want to be over there and leaving them lost and alone. But we pray and we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing seems to happen. Nothing seems to change. In fact, if anything, they seem to get worse. And we're so discouraged by that. But as the hymn says, unanswered yet, the prayer of many years, you shall have your request sometime, somewhere. Keep on praying. Revivals in church history often began when a few people got a great desire and a yearning for it. And they prayed for it. I don't know if you've read much about the revival in the Outer Hebrides in Scotland, the islands off the west coast of Scotland in 1949. But there were a few old ladies that were involved in that, praying over that text in Isaiah. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. In the 1859 revival, an Ulster prayer was offered for a long, long time before the showers of blessing came. Why? Because revival, by definition, is the result of a patient waiting upon God. May the Lord give us a desire to pray for revival, but also to pray on for revival. Because that is how it comes. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground. Are we thirsty for revival? It was that great preacher who said, We cannot make the wind to blow, but we can set our sails to catch the wind when it does blow. We need to prepare in prayer. Secondly, let me say this. What is revival? It's not only the result of patient waiting upon God. Revival is a revelation of something that begins very small. Revival is revealed in history and in scripture as something that begins really small you know there are some ministers and I call them big time Charlies they like the numbers they like the fame they like all the attention the spotlights some of them even call their ministries after their own name I despise that can you imagine Put a big sign at the front here. Stephen Hamilton Ministries. I want to tell you something. God is not in that. God is not in that. How do I know? Because my Bible tells me in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
that it has pleased God. Yes, by the foolishness of preaching the same that believe, to save them that believe. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the, the weak things, to confound the things that are mighty, the base things, things that are despised hath God chosen, things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. The word glory means boast. We have nothing to boast in. A man from my part of the world, W.P. Nicholson, used to say, there are only two things that were made of the dust of the ground. One is man, and the other, the big fleas that bit Pharaoh in Egypt. He said, listen, you have nothing to be proud of. You have nothing to be proud of. You're made out of the same stuff as the fleas. Listen, God will bless when we're small. And I mean small in our own eyes. See, in the scripture, in the book of Proverbs, it says before honor is humility. Did you ever read where the Lord Jesus said it's better to be in a place where you're sitting way at the back and somebody calls you forward rather than to be sitting at the front and somebody say, hey, get you to the back. Humility. What an uncommon characteristic that is in many, even some who profess the Lord's name. Revival is revealed as being something that is small in its beginning. Here we have it, a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's interesting that terminology, 1 Kings 18 and verse 44, it came to pass at the seventh time that he, that's the servant, said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And you can imagine that eastern sky, clear blue azure sky, not a cloud, and there's just this little tiny black cloud, and you put up your hand and cover it. Can't even see it anymore. That's what he meant, a cloud the size of a man's hand. I can even cover it just by putting my hand up, like putting up a, a coin against the sun. If your eye is close enough, you block it out. It's small. It's insignificant. It doesn't look like anything. We need more than that. A cloud the size of a man's hand, that's not going to help anything. You know what that's like when there's a bit of a drought, even in our part of the world, and you're dying for some rain and a few drops come down and you think, that's not going to do any good. That's not going to help the garden to grow. We need more than that. It's insignificant. But you see, this insignificant beginning, the cloud the size of a man's hand, was the harbinger of a great deluge of rain that was like a monsoon season times ten when it came. But the point is, a tiny cloud, a tiny black cloud, wasn't very promising, was it? It wasn't very promising. It didn't look like much. But yet we read on, don't we, that the Bible says in verse 45, it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain. Soon that little cloud became just a black blanket right across the sky that emptied its contents everywhere. A tiny cloud 
not very promising, very small, but yet soon the sky was black all over. Remember this, that great movements of God may have very small beginnings. Someone told me one time, I never forgot it, remember that the mighty oak was once a nut like you. Wasn't very kind, was it? But it's true. Just a small seed that grows into a mighty tree. Remember how the Lord Jesus gave that illustration of the mustard seed? Don't despise that mustard seed. I have one at home in a little uh, receptacle and it has a verse of scripture around it that mentions having faith the size of a mustard seed. You can't even hardly... I would need a magnifying glass just about to see the, the mustard seed. But yet Jesus said when you plant that mustard seed, it becomes a great tree. And the branches are so great that the fowls of the air lodge in the branches. Start small. And great movements may have very small beginnings. Think of the Reformation with Martin Luther. By all accounts, Luther was a little man. One monk. But a monk who shook the world. You know, we are very much inclined to despise the small, aren't we? When I was growing up, that was always the reputation that America had, whether it was right or wrong, but everything was bigger. Everything was bigger. And that's what we thought. Everything's bigger here. Well, it usually is. You know, I, I lived in a country that was smaller than your smallest state. You could fit it into Pennsylvania a number of times. But sometimes, in spiritual things, we despise the small and we think in terms of the large. But yet we're told in Scripture that we're not to despise the day of small things. Do not despise the day of small things. Because everything that's ever been large has had a small beginning. Everything. Even things that are bad. Do you know leprosy? I was reading about it in my devotions one day there. Leprosy used to begin as a small spot in the, in the center of a man's hand. You read Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. And yet that would spread and spread and spread until it took over the man's entire body. If it wasn't treated. Or it usually wasn't treated anyway. But if they came uh, to the Lord in the days when the Lord was on the earth, he was able to heal the leper. But it started small. Revival doesn't have to begin with large amounts of Christians praying or getting together to look for revival. I've mentioned those prayer meetings in New York and the Ulster Revival. Small numbers, even sometimes young men, meeting for regular prayer and Bible study. You see, it was among the twos and the threes that the fires of revival were kindled. It doesn't take a big crowd to get the attention of God. I'm so very thankful for that. Because most prayer meetings today, if you're waiting for a big crowd, you'd never get the ear of God. But even one soul getting saved could be the start of something big. You imagine one person 
gets right with God and then the Lord uses that person to win the other members of his family and some of his connection and his friends and before you know it there's a bunch of people that have come to know the Lord just a few believers getting on fire for God could be the start of something really big as far as God is concerned because you see the mercy drops lead on to the showers In our little church in Scotland, it was a small church too, we built a building. We put stones in there to commemorate the opening of that building. And one of those stones that I was to hit with the hammer and dedicate the building had a text on it that I chose. still there. It's Job chapter 8 verse 7. Though thy beginning was small, yet thy latter end should greatly increase though thy beginning was small yet thy latter end should greatly increase God is able because revival is always revealed in scripture and in history as being something that starts small and it develops from there to become a great work but there's a third thing and it is this revival what is it? It's the reward of true believing faith. That's what it is. It's the reward of true believing faith. Look at verse 41 and verse 44 of this passage. Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. And Ahab could have said, There's what? Where? I don't hear any sound. I don't hear any sound. Rain? What do you mean rain? There's not a cloud in the sky. That's what he could have said. And probably was saying within his unbelieving heart. But Elijah said, Ahab, you better get up. You better have your meal. Because there's a sound of abundance of rain. There's going to be almighty floods that come. How could he say that? Because he was a man of faith. He was a man of faith. He believed in what he was praying about. He didn't pray and then say, well, it's not going to happen. Isn't that what we do often? We're praying, and while we're praying, there's this voice in our head saying, it's not going to happen. It won't happen. You're asking for this, but you'll find well it's not going to take place. That's not the prayer of faith. And we can't drum up faith. Faith has to be given to us. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And we'll come to that in a moment or two. But if you come to verse 44 of this chapter, it says, And it came to pass at the seventh time that he, the servant, said, Behold, there ariseth a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. It came out of nowhere, it came out of the sea. And he said, Go up, say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain Stop thee not. I know you're familiar with it in this part of the world where there's such a deluge of rain. You you have to stop driving. You have to pull your car over to the side. I've had to do that a number of times. I just couldn't see the, the, the road in front of me. It's too dangerous to drive. So you get the earliest opportunity. You pull off to the hard shoulder and you sit there until it goes by. Because the windshield wipers won't take it. You can't see. There's such an amazing deluge of water that it's not even safe to travel. That's what was going on here. He said, 
Prepare thy chariot, get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. Now how could he say that? How could Elijah say, there's a sound of abundance of rain? Because he prayed expectantly. He heard the sound with the ear of faith. He didn't hear it physically. He heard it spiritually. He believed. Chapter 18 verse 1. It came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab. And I will send rain upon the earth. Ah, there it is. That's why Elijah believed there was a sound of abundance of rain. That's why he believed there was going to be a great deluge. Because he believed the word of the Lord. God had told him. Here it is. I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah believed that. He heard the sound with the ear of faith. And he believed that such a deluge would fall, that a chariot wouldn't be able to get through it. He prayed expectantly, because revival is the reward of faith. He prayed earnestly. This is what James focuses on in his epistle in verse 17. It's only after saying, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's not a waste of time, brother, for you to pray. It's not a waste of time, sister, for you to pray. God answers effectual earnest prayers but then it says he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and then he prayed again that it would rain God rewarded the prophet's faith by sending the showers consider verse 45 and it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds and wind And there was a great rain. You know, I like to compare verse 44 with verse 45. Because in verse 44, you'll see the word little. And in verse 45, there's the word great. What a contrast. There riseth a little cloud. And there was a great rain. What a contrast. God answered prayer, you see, because Elijah prayed not only expectantly and earnestly, but effectually. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do we have faith that God can send us revival? Yes, there are some people even in the Christian church today who think that somehow the Lord has either changed that he couldn't or that he wouldn't send an awakening in our day. For some reason, they think that that's not going to happen. And yet, don't we read in the Scripture, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever? Don't we read in Malachi 3, verse 6, I am the Lord, I'm Jehovah, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Do you know that, though it's thousands of years later, that God that Elijah prayed to is the God that we prayed to. One of our hymns says it. Elijah's God still lives today and answers still by fire. It's the same God. There was nothing superhuman about Elijah. He was a man of like passions as we are. Just an ordinary man. But an ordinary man that God used in an extraordinary way 
Why can he not do this today? Give me one reason why God cannot revive his work today. There is no reason. Psalm 115. It says in verses 2 and 3. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. We're living in a day when that's what the heathen are saying. Where is now their God? Your God doesn't seem to be doing much today. Wickedness prevails. Evil gets worse all the time. Look at the things that are happening. Where's God? I hear this from unsaved people on a regular basis. Well, I don't know. Where is God in all this? That's the question the psalmist deals with. Where is now their God? And he says, wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Why should they be saying that? Because our God is in the heavens and he's done whatsoever he hath pleased. God will do what he wants to do. Now we know something of what God has done in the past. Our fathers have told us and so on. But that's the past. What about today? Can God send revival today? I believe he can because his power is still the same. Not only that, but his promises are still the same. His promises. Look at the promises of God. Now we think of these promises in relation to salvation. We don't seem to have any problem accepting them, do we? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He that hath the Son hath life. Come unto me and I will give you rest. We think of these gospel promises and we think, yes, they're true. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Do you believe that? If you come to the Lord Jesus, he will not turn you away. He won't. As one of our preachers said many years ago, he's a savior for all comers. You come to him, he will save you. Why? Because that's his promise. He's as good as his word. Well, what about the promises regarding revival? I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. This is a promise of God. It has often been claimed for revival. There are some ultra-dispensationalists who would assign that promise to Israel only. Yet we know that God's people through the ages have claimed this promise for revival. One man wrote the following. The saintly Robert Murray McShane preached upon this text. Isaiah 44.3 And soon thereafter, God rained the blessing of heaven upon Dundee and other parts of Scotland. The scholarly but godly Charles Simeon preached upon the same text. And again, God did wonderful things at Cambridge, England, and in other places where he ministered. We've already mentioned the same passage was one of the promises claimed in the Lewis Awakening in 1949. And isn't it interesting that that passage in Isaiah 44.3 would seem to be related, at least in principle, to the Lord's promise in John 7. Think of that promise. John 7.37-39 In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, 
let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Dr. James Stewart years ago wrote, My brother, my sister, if the Lord has laid it on your heart to pray for revival in your sphere of labor, go alone on your knees with the word before God. Make sure the desire is from the Lord so that the motive will be for the glory of his dear name. Then ask him to seal to your heart some portion of his word according to that which he desires to do in your midst. And once you have obtained such a promise, stand on it unflinchingly until the answer comes. What do we need in order to pray for revival? We need what Elijah received. That's a word from the Lord. The promise of God. And we're going to find that word in his written word. Whether it be in the Old Testament or the New Testament. We can pray in faith standing upon those promises. There's a time in Israelite history when David the psalmist came before the the Lord. And he talked about all that God had promised to do. And he said, now Lord, do as thou hast said. Do as thou hast said. There are promises in the scripture for every age. So let us pray. Let us pray in faith. Let us ask the Lord to give us faith to believe. Give us perseverance in prayer. We need revival. May the Lord grant it to us. Let it come. O Lord, we pray thee. Let the shower of blessing fall. We are waiting. Lord, let it be that we are expecting. Lord, revive the hearts of all. May there be a sound of abundance of rain.